Good morning, Steve. Dan, you are full of excitement. I'm excited because we're recording the podcast. Oh my uh, gosh. For people listening off in the future, they won't know that it's a couple of days late. They won't. It really bothers me that it's a couple of days late, but you've been uh, completely unavailable. Well, you travel. I've been on the, I think we did about 5,000 miles, but here's the thing I'm worried about with you. You're telling me that you've been hearing some kind of sizzling sound between your ears. <laughs> that's not like that has to do with the computer system. That's nothing. But you don't think it's like uh, some kind of neurological disorder? I'm sure I have some of those. But let me Google what I, what's wrong with me, because <laughs> that's always accurate. You might have had a grandpa seizure or something like that. A grand the grandpa ones, yeah, could hey, be, could be. Hey, I don't want to make light so. of that stuff. My mom had a, a little episode that scared us to death. Really, not too long ago. I remember that. That was scary. You were frightened. This is frightening stuff. Getting uh, getting older is not for sissies. Now, people don't want to hear about this. Mm-mm. No, but uh, so to give me a give me a little update, and I I've been asking you to not talk to me about this outside of the podcast because I want you to be excited about it. But you you've got an update on this carbon fiber hammer dulcimer. Yeah, it's sitting sitting right over there, and it's uh, what's the it's, deal. Wow, where'd it start without just going on and on? It's really light, 16 and a half pounds. That's amazing. What's a, what's, a, what's a regular hammer dulcimer weigh? You know, I should know that exactly. I think a Dusty Strings D650, which is a big one, what I'm used to playing, I think it starts at 28 pounds. But by the time you add the dampers, which are also maple and large and wood, and the damper pedal, which itself weighs about uh, two or three pounds, you end up, and you know, put it in the case, you end up getting close to 40 pounds. Now, I haven't weighed this whole thing in the case, but even the dampers are carbon fiber, so it's lighter. So I'm guessing we're probably coming in at around 20, and I've about cut my weight in half that I have to carry. That's really crazy. <laughs> it's really crazy. And I've, put the, I've tested the carbon fiber nature of it pretty extensively in the few days that I've had it in that we had a thunderstorm rolling in, and it was kind of... I basically played on my porch... It went from being in the air conditioning to it warm and humid, and it's holding tune just in the most amazing way. It's crazy. No, it isn't. Yes, it's just crazy. What and do you mean? Should. Well, because wood instruments, wood right. always wants to absorb the moisture that's in the air. That's what wood does. Right, and this stuff doesn't do that. Carbon I know fiber that. doesn't absorb any at all. Now, there's some wood on the inside uh, for the bracing, not much in there, though. It's, it's amazing how open it is on the inside. But and you're telling me that you're, it's, it's almost staying in tune or it is staying in tune? It is staying in tune. That's disturbing. The things that I do, like bending strings and using dampers a lot, those just mechanical yeah. things. Now, those, you know, they... they That'll make things go flat a yeah, little, Yeah, they, they take their toll on it. But the instrument itself, when it's just, just it's amazing. <laughs> I'm just amazed. Well, that just doesn't even sound real. Did you get a chance to hear Sam's carbon fiber mountain dulcimer? What? That he had at Everett? I can't believe I didn't get to see that. That's incredible. It was amazing. Just amazing. Come on. Yeah. I hope you get to hear that sometime if you're going to, you, you and he are going to cross paths. Well, I think it might have been, I could be wrong about this, but I think Josh No from Bardstown, Kentucky has been talking to him about a carbon fiber. Well, Josh wrote me uh, just a couple of days ago saying, how do I get Sam? I really want to talk to him. That's it. He talked to you. Yeah. 
and I've had a couple of other people. I'm really surprised at the interest that this carbon fiber thing has uh, has brought up. So what about the what about the so let me tell you this. When I get a new instrument that's totally different than what I'm used to, I usually start in with the most optimistic attitude possible. And I'm willing to give it all kinds of benefit of the doubt because I know my ear is going to have to adjust to this new thing. And I, I really immerse myself in it and just trust it completely. And then usually after two or three weeks, uh, I start to try to get honest with myself. But, so I don't know where you're at in, in all of that, but I'd like to know how this thing sounds compared to, like, personally, uh, the uh, the uh, your main instrument. What what is the name of that one? D six fifty. Yeah, and that's made by Dusty Strings. Dusty Strings, and then you've got something like uh, the Jerry Reed Smith, and then something like yeah. Uh, I mean, I've played all kinds of instruments, from the big Jerry Reed Smith Grand Concert Master and Russell Cook's instruments, which are which are just fantastic. I mean, there's just and what's his company called? Masterworks. For, golly, I just woke up. Michael Allen's Cloud Nine instruments. You know, there's. I hate to even start mentioning them because you leave some of them out, and there's just. I know. So, so listen. Many. Yeah. Okay. Well, let me just stop. But there's stuff that's generic that people. Builders, if you're listening to this, and we didn't just mention your name, Dan and I, if you will send us a note, we will each tattoo the a name 20, of your company on our note. forehead. A $20 note. Have you seen the new $100 bills, by the way? Probably Are they not. carbon fiber? You're a folk musician. But they're beautiful. They just If you get a chance to I, see a brand new $100 bill, you need to do that. I, don't, I, I actually did get to see one and it looked like a video game it's as pretty as canadian money why canadians always have prettier money than we do well the weather's it's the weather (laughs) it's crisp they're friendlier generally the paint Uh, anyway so tell me about how this thing sounds are you ready to do that or do you need to wait i'm moving in that direction yeah i am ready to talk about that but can i talk about the process of determining how it sounds before yeah what do you do right into the uh, subjective kind of stuff I always get subjective and objective mixed up. So when Sam and I were listening to the instrument at the beginning, uh, of course, the, the way you approach a new instrument is important. And this applies to any instrument. I think, uh, I know I've, I've done this. I've probably even said this on this subject before, but the thing that David Wilcox said one time just stuck, and I think it's right. He said the reason he plays in alternate tunings is because there's something new the guitar wants to teach him. And he won't have a chance to learn it until he makes things unusual to him. Yeah, I like that. Yes. Yes. You can take an instrument and just by changing its tuning, you you've created a whole new island to explore. That's right. And it's and it And you know what I love is that you're you know, like in DAD, I don't even have to think. I know where everything is. I get into another tuning, I start getting it changes me. That is good. Yeah, and so I was prepared, and I'll say this about any instrument, even one that most people would agree, well, that's a that's a two hundred dollar instrument. Even that two hundred dollar instrument can speak to you in a way, and I don't mean some kind of weird woo way, but I think it makes you listen differently. And so you try to find what it is that's unique about that, you know, because there's something, even if it's the fact that it won't tune completely. It might speak to certain memories and to certain ways of playing and all that. 
Yeah, there's more than we we play these instruments for more reasons than how they sound. But I, you know, sound is definitely probably number one. Sure, but if we wanted perfect pure tone, we would sample all of them and then mess with them in Ableton Live and sample tank and make them be perfect and just play them on a keyboard. There's, you know, and that's not what we do. Well, maybe. So going into an instrument like this, <laughs> it sounds like I have a bromance, you know, kind of a, a, a man crush on Sam Rosetta. Oh. But this guy's done so much in the hammer dulcimer world. And not just that, but in in boating and just all kinds of things. He's, He's like ecologist. a ninja. He's like a ninja. ninja I saw a picture of him in a small uh, single prop airplane. What was that about? He flew He flew the instrument down to me. To Virginia? Know, to Virginia. We just. I just went right into Abington. And so it's about three and a half hours for me and... He flew about a little less than that, you know, but he obviously traveled a lot farther in a plane that he paid less than most people pay for a used car 35 years ago or something like that, that he maintains. <laughs> I think there's a possibility that he's working in the intelligence community. <laughs> he's got some something going on up in between his ears. And uh, Sam, I don't know if he would mind me mentioning, if he was a woman, he would mind, but Sam's 74 years old. And Gracious, I, he looks amazing. I would not fight him. <laughs> he's a really, you know, just mentally, physically, everything. He's just such an interesting guy. So I was excited just partially because of that. Sam Rosetta is the person who basically laid out the white, black, black, white marking system. And, oh, really? And then the chromatics, the system of chromatics... Uh, on the upper end of hammer dulcimers in the United States. That's all kind of, it's Sam. He's sort of the one that did that. So tremendous influence. And so just to have an instrument from him has been something I've always wanted just because of that. And, uh, but then to find out we have so many other things that we're, you know, we enjoy talking about on top of that. And I'm saying all this, not just to, to build up Sam, but to say it's the way you approach an instrument. Why can't we build up Sam? I like it. (laughs) Yeah, I guess it's okay. Okay, so you were saying it to build up Sam, and yeah, what's next? But I'm but the case that I'm really trying to make is for that two hundred dollar instrument, I'm not going to be hypercritical. That's right. But when I get because you you, you yeah. don't go to McDonald's for a steak. That's right. I'm not. I'm not going to compare that. But at Sam with this one, my expectations were really high because he's the dude. So. You know, I played for a little bit, and sure enough, there's that instant. And I and I'd heard this instrument before. This the basic part of this instrument with a carbon fiber top uh, and back, and carbon fiber wrapped, you know, pin rails and all. He built in I think 2011, but it's kind of was an experimental instrument from him. From him, I don't think there are any other carbon fiber topped hammer dulcimers. There's carbon fiber backed ones that he and Nick Blanton build together. But this particular one is Sam's personal instrument that he's been playing. Oh, okay. And so, which makes it even more special to me. It's what he's recorded his last couple of CDs on. But he didn't have dampers on it, and his tuning scheme on the low notes was all kind of different. And so we've been talking about this for a while, and that's the stuff he's been doing, is making the carbon fiber dampers and all this kind of stuff. So we're sitting there playing it, actually at the airport in this pilot's lounge, uh, in the, in, it's a good quiet room. You know, and I'd hear a little buzz or something, and then we'd spend 20 or 30 minutes, you know, just trying to track it down and just sort of making it perfect. Yeah. And, and since then, we've 
past emails back and forth that are, you know, long <laughs> emails explaining just nuances of things that trying to figure out how to make these little adjustments. So that sort of thing is going on. Uh, but having said all that, I sold my D650 yesterday. That's and This is my sole axe. Uh, so I'm that much in love with it. Now, it's not unusual for you to get a new D650 every once in a while. Right. And I'll probably get another D650 this fall. And I'll talk about why this fall in another podcast. Like with but. instruments and, and um, all kinds of things. You're kind of like one of these people who, you know, they want to go out on a date with somebody new every week. Well, I've stayed married and been faithful. But let me so let me be clear on this. <laughs> let me be clear on this. You have uh, been successfully married for a very long time, and I, I have not dated any other women in that time. <laughs> I have not. I have not. Right, but. I am the the. I'm an early adopter is a way to put it. Yeah. Of things, uh, I don't mind being a, a guinea pig for things. That's right. Yeah. So, uh, and I think part of that's because <clears throat> my. <laughs> it sounds like I'm just talking about me and I don't want to do that, but I think there is a mental attitude that you take to instruments where you go, this doesn't sound right right now. What am I doing that's making it not sound right? As opposed to, this doesn't sound right. There's something wrong with this. And with instruments, it's all about technique. You know, the way you, the way you touch it, the weight of the hammer, the weight of the hammer head, the surface how hard you're striking it, how close you are to the strings. Am I playing in a range on this instrument that sounds good to begin with? Uh, does that make sense? Yeah. Well, I mean, and, and what I, what I, what I, the thought that just came to my mind, and I'll let you get right on back to that, is that when I get a new instrument, like I said, I really try to just fully commit to it. So you, that's what you're yeah, doing. Yeah, I think here. that's what I'm saying. I think that's what I'm saying, yeah. So... Now, to talk specifically about the sound of this, which is where this whole thing started. Uh, I did a, a video yesterday before I, I delivered the D650 that I'd been playing to its new owner. Of uh, I just put a single, this matter of fact, this mic that I'm speaking into right now, a single AKG C414 about three feet above the two instruments and put the two side by side on the exact same kind of stand, level, both of them tuned. And played a bunch of stuff going back and forth. Kind of did that mostly for me, but I might, I think I will share it because it's fine. It's not, you know, cutting anybody's down or anything like that. And I'm not going to tell you which instrument I'm starting with. And don't adjust your volume. It's going to start really low. That's just me playing as softly as I can. And the purpose of this portion of the test I was doing was to see how the timbre changes as I get progressively louder across a crescendo. So it's going to get louder and you don't have to mess with it. Here we go. Just getting louder.
think the Dusty Strings instrument sounds great once you really start to play it hard. I like the the tone that I get even it's soft levels. Okay, so that's the end of the recorded part that talking was on the recording. Hey, they both sound pretty good to me. I'm not sure which one is which. Uh, I want to guess. Can I guess? You bet. Now, I've recorded the D650 three times. Three different people. And my, <laughs> I hope I'm not wrong about this. Now, first of all, they sound, the two sound similar to me. They sound similar enough where it's not like, it's not, it's definitely not a big problem. Going from one to the other, it doesn't seem like, but I would say the second one is the D650. That's right. Wow, I got it. You nailed it. Wow. And then I'll, I'll put a video up so you can see the different things. Now, what the reason I picked that little clip <laughs> is because it shows one of the things that is consistent across that Sam Rosetta that I've never had before. When I mentioned earlier about it's, I think it's the way you approach the instrument. Like, what am I doing that's making this not sound good? On the D650, you have to play it pretty aggressively to get good tone out of it. Now, that's subjective, feels, maybe. Mm, I, I think a, a robot would experience the same thing. Because what I found when I compared the two, and if you watch the video, you'll notice it. I'm playing really lightly, right. just, just barely touching the... Uh, both of them. I, I did my best to play with the same level and show that comparison. And the tone at the softest volumes is so pure on the uh, Sam Rosetta. And as I get louder, it doesn't change the timbre of the tone. It just just gets louder. On the Dusty Strings, it sounded like it was out of tune even at the beginning. Uh, but then as I played it harder, it sound, it, you lost that. You started to hear the tone coming out of it more as opposed to just some of the overtones from the strings. Well, one thing I heard in the, the second one, the Dusty Strings, and this is very subtle. I'm not saying there was a huge difference here. It was almost such a small difference that I was feeling it more than thinking it at first. But I think right as the hammer hits, I heard just a touch more, like some kind of initial kind of quick body resonance or something. Just a tiny bit of that. I don't know if that's in my imagination or not. It was just like, I don't want to say a knocking, but it. the first one just didn't have that for me. I don't know. I need to listen to it 10 more times. Um, I think that, um, I'm just going to be honest with everybody. I just lost Dan. <laughs> tried to, trying to keep this going on. I'm going to call him back and um, we'll see what happens. And this happens every once in a while. So I'm in Nashville. He's in uh, Signal Mountain, Tennessee. And this uh, these things do happen. Let's see. Here we go. Calling Dan up. Now the question is, is he talking to me right now? And how is he going to edit this later? That makes for an interesting thing. Um, I'm going to tell him he's won a prize. He's uh He's definitely... You there? Hey, Dan, you've won a prize. This is Steven Seifert with the uh, with the Dulcimer Geek <laughs> podcast. Yeah, I kept it rolling. Did you hear me talking about uh, McSpadden's and Beatties? Oh, no, I didn't hear uh, anything about that. But I honestly think that you could probably leave both of our talking in and it would be quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. All right. 
Uh, but I want you to hear, because I want to know if you think this is true. On an instrument like that Rosetta, because it's so light and, and strung tightly, it's tightly wound. Like you. Like me. <laughs> I, just, I resemble that. Any little noise, any little thing that could buzz, you're more likely to hear that kind of thing. And, uh, and, but it allows you to play it more softly and have greater dynamic range. And players that, that play instruments like, like the BDs and McSpadden set up the way that you have them and those, you know, those really, those instruments that just feel so light and delicate when you touch them, I think that's the same kind of difference between like this Rosetta and the Maybe a little. And I, I think that, um, yeah, I must have lost you a long time ago, by the way. But I think that one thing I'd like to hear you do is oh, I would just like to hear that real low end kind of stuff you do on the the D six fifty. Is it the? That's the best instrument there is for that. And it, rarely will I say something's the best, but as far as that bottom end huge sound, the uh, D six fifty is it. Now the Sam Rosetta <coughs> is a little more consistent down there. Yeah. In that it sounds, the D650, when you get to the bottom, it almost sounds like you're playing a different instrument. Uh, the Sam Rosetta's tonal, the timbre stays more consistent as you head down there. Well, so what I'm experimenting with right now, and this is for the next few weeks, is my pickup system now for it. Because even on the D650, some of the weirder stuff that I do, I do with a combination of close miking and picks up, pickups in order to get what I want out of the bass. And I told Sam from the beginning that I've kind of perfected, I think I have anyway, how to do that. And I'm more into consistent tone on this because I can make the overall big, thumpy tone happen with pickup placement. That's my belief. We'll find out if that's true in a few weeks. I got a funny feeling. um, I mean, I've heard a lot of hammer dulcimers over the years. And... For somebody who doesn't really play one, I feel like I've heard more than most people on the earth. Maybe <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> and I would—I'm really looking forward to, to hearing this thing in person. So, yeah, I can't wait to play. It, it, it makes me, uh, as I've mentioned several times, me and Aaron are working on an album. This is the instrument for oh, that. You think we're so? doing something? Yeah, because we're, we're doing something really with a lot of subtlety and nuance in it. Name of the project, by the way, is called Fictive Ken. What is it? Fictive kin. Fictive. Like yeah, fiction? F-C-I- well, yeah, like fiction, but it's called fictive. And it's a, uh, it's a term in sociology and anthropology. It has to do with basically the people that are kind of more like family than your actual blood relatives. Oh, really? Yeah. Because the way you and I fight, clearly we are closer than maybe I am with some of my blood relatives. Yeah, we're definitely fictive kin. I mean, you would be a part of that. And uh, the reason for the naming the project that isn't about people as much as it is mountain dulcimer and hammer dulcimer. Oh, I think they're fictive kin. That's really nice. Thank you. Because people can argue all day long that we shouldn't be sharing festival space and all this and sharing a magazine, but the truth is we're family. Deal with it. That's right. I mean, what family would be a family if there wasn't something wrong with it, you know? So you're thinking there's no family everywhere where there's nothing wrong with it. Do you think that's true? I think that I drove so many miles this last month and a half 
You and your mother have been fighting a lot, haven't you? <laughs> uh, you know what? We got along better than usual. I'd be willing to um, get her to testify on that. <laughs> uh, what, when did we go to Everett? What was the date on that? I don't know. It's middle of July. Okay. Well, in the last month, and I mean this, in the last month and a half, I mean, I went up to Chicago and back. I went to Everett and back. I went to Orlando. I went to Miami. And then I drove from Miami to St. Louis, St. Louis to Bardstown. Now I'm home this weekend. I'm going to Townsend over near Gatlinburg and then on to Asheville, North Carolina, and then home. I got stuff stacking up here, and I got a strange road kind of trance that I can't, you know, I, I need to do one of those cleanses maybe. I just feel like... Be careful. Do not do that. Well, people in California do cleanses. Yeah. They're not... Yeah. No, Walmart has like a a $12 cleanse. I think it's a machine you can use right there in the store. (laughs) Do not do that. But seriously... Is it next to the thing where they aren't the uh, blood pressure machine, except this one's different? (laughs) Right. And here it sounds like I'm bragging and what I'm very thankful actually that I've got this work because I've, you know me, I've gone through months where I don't have a lot of work. Um, It was so good to see people that I hadn't seen in a while, Um, got to play with some folks I hadn't played with in a while. Uh, It's nice to pay some bills, but I'll tell you, I sure miss being home. And I, I spent yesterday, well, actually... I spent the last couple of days with my kids. I got them remote control trucks, <laughs> which <laughs> uh, I, so my son wanted a truck. My daughter wanted a electric scooter. So we, we get all this together and um, these are slightly bigger purchases than usual. So we go to this parking lot, huge parking lot. Ellie is on this scooter running 10 miles an hour. Okay. Making this face like, can we speed this thing up? <laughs> and then my... This one she stands up on, Yeah, right? and my son, okay. he's got a remote control truck that goes 35 miles an hour. So he's running circles around her. So at the end of the night, she, she said, Daddy, I don't want to seem ungrateful, but I wonder if I might like a remote control truck better. <laughs> she said, I can ride a bike faster than this scooter. <laughs> Oh, that's interesting. So anyway, we got a truck, so I traded it, um, and we ran out. Man, I'll tell you what. I'm not going to linger on this long, but these these RC cars nowadays, man, it is amazing what they can do and jumping. And, uh, but it, I was in the store, and the lady that runs the store was talking about how they work events and everything, and I realized this hobby store, you know, what they do is very similar to what people like Gary Sager do. You know, um, or or wooden strings, or any of these dulcimer shops around the country, they 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 cater to a niche, and they have all kinds of stuff you can't find at a regular store. You know, you're not going to find right. these at Toys R Us. Um, and then and you start to realize, you know, I know we're making music, and I know those RC cars are just you know doing donuts and 
and jumps and stuff, but it's it's a very similar kind of thing for your brain to get into. There's a deeper thing they're doing. They're making people are having fun and they're they're bonding with other people that are having fun. That's good. Right, but you know, she didn't lean over and say something like, you know, uh, we don't like these new fandangled, <laughs> you know, RC cars. Oh, yeah. Because in there, what you want is a new thing that's healthier and works better. It's interesting. And I'm not saying... Uh, I bet there's people in there that are like, you know what? I miss I the old days right. when everybody used the same motor. And no, yeah. Oh, yeah. Remember when we all had the same motor and so a, a race was all about your build and now kids are just buying ki- you know, pre-built cars these days. <laughs> you know, You're a right. kayak. That same thing applies to kayaking. Yeah, and, it's, it applies to everything, I yeah. guess. Used to be, this is one of those used to be, really, early in the days of kayaking, if you'd see somebody else with boats on the top of their car, you would pull over in the median and talk to them uh, because there were so few people doing it. And now oh, that's funny. people actually have different boats that they use for different holes uh-huh. in rivers. <laughs> and you know, we would, have to, we would do a river and have to go home and refiberglass it because they were glass boats. Yeah. And yeah, that's those days are gone. But I'm not saying they're better cuz I'm boating again now because I w- if I was having to refiberglass my boat, I wouldn't be boating again, but I'm boating well, again you, now. You you mentioned alternate tunings it, earlier and and what's interesting about that is like I I have thoroughly enjoyed alternate tunings on the dulcimer. Um I, I spent a year of my life, and I guess it, I don't know if it was 2008 maybe, but I had a Jerry Rockwell. It had no six and a half on it, and it also just had three strings. Um, I played that thing all year, and I didn't play it at most of the concerts I did and workshops, but um, that was a slow year, I think. And when I was at home, I was putting in two or three hours a day on that. No six and a half fret. I also experimented with a thicker melody string so that my DAA just sounded really good. I mean, I just, I want to comment on that real quick. You know, we've set that melody string gauge so that the dulcimers can go from DAA all the way up to DAD. Well, that means your DAA melody string is just kind of floppy when you when you press on it, it's going to go a little sharp. It's just, but when when I had that Jerry Rockwell, I think I strung it twenty six sixteen sixteen, and later twenty four fourteen fourteen. DAA sounded like a million bucks. Um, no six and a half fret, didn't need it. Then I, I no six and a half fret. I went through all these tunings, tons of tunings. Uh, I guess realistically, probably about twenty tunings. There is so much that can be done without the six and a half fret. Um, if you're using all those other tunings, it's especially awesome. And I'm not saying you know we should head in that direction, but uh, but I do want to say that there's some people who say, "Hey, the dulcimer community used to do more alternate tunings. We used to capo more, and now everybody's just DAD open all the time." Um, and and I've heard people express an opinion that we almost have a responsibility to encourage people to continue to use alternate tunings. And so I guess what I, I'm telling all this because 
I love alternate tunings. I love sharing that. I love playing in them. I mean, I'm crazy about them, but um, I don't. I don't want to get on some high horse like we've got to get people using alternate tunings more like they did in the 80s or something. But I don't I don't like just being in DAD all the time either. Do I sound like I need a dulce therapist? I guess. But what you said about that David Wilcox quote, what did he say again? There was um there was a time uh my mother just texted me. She wants to know if she can be on the podcast. <laughs> That's funny. Um there was uh I heard about a school and I could tell you the name of the guy, but I can't remember it right now, but it was up east. And if you wanted to if you wanted to take part in his uh guitar program, I think it was like a two year program, you had to pick your own tuning. Oh, that's interesting. You had to make your own tuning. I like that idea. Yeah, wow. and then they they actually learned all kinds of stuff, also jazz and all kinds of stuff. But that really well, forces you to dig in, man. You got to you got to yeah. chart out your instrument. So, pardon me for for going back to this uh, Rosetta carbon, carbon fiber. fiber thing. <laughs> You're so funny. But, but the reason I want to do that because it totally applies to what we're doing. There are five fewer notes on this than I had on my D650 on the lower bass. Now, I use those bass notes a lot. A, a lot. lot, of, that, a lot that's like your middle name. Mm -hmm. That's sort of my signature. So that's forced me to make some changes. So uh, one good thing about this instrument that is I've never had one that does this, it has the super basses on the right and left-hand side. So that opens up some options. Uh, and the dampers actually still work, which is this is the first one that's ever been like this, as far as I know, where you can have the bass on both sides and the dampers work. Sam came up with this innovative way for that. But it means I lost my low G, my low C, my low F, uh, uh, and, and another note in there, too, because I change them all the time. So I change the tuning on the bottom. I find that I don't use my lowest A on the bass bridge a lot. I tune that oh, one down yeah. to a G. There's a couple of songs that I want to learn, like that whole concept of the thing speaking to you. I started playing this, and I just had this urge to play Satie's Gymnopédie, uh, which is written in C. And uh, it's, you know, it's, it's, C is not good for the low notes, and so I made some changes to the bass bridge. And then, remember I learned one time um, John Lennon's Imagine on that piano dulcimer? Yeah. And, and it was pretty cool. You you gave me some tips on how to make it sound authentic. Well, that I found that that tuning allowed me to play that. So I'm playing that somewhere this weekend on this instrument because I changed the tuning. I was never able to play that song on my D650 with more strings on it because I never just I never got forced to change it to make it accommodate. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, I can. Uh, I think of those harp guitars. Um, I remember. I saw my first harp guitar. If you don't know what that is, yeah. just imagine a guitar, and it's actually got like, like a five-string harp hooked onto it, or more strings. I'm not sure, but I remember looking at those years ago and thinking, but you know, why would you? I forget how many numbers, but it was roughly five strings on the harp, and they were like bass notes. And I thought, 
how can you get anything done with just five? Well, then I saw some really great players. Um, Stephen Bennett, is that one of them, I think? Um, he, of course, would change the tuning of those things. And he, of course, the whole arrangement wasn't really built on the harp part. It was built on the guitar part. And the, it was great to see him tune those harp strings and do different things on different songs. Right. And Mark, I've seen Mark Allen Wade do that. And I guess when I've recorded people, I've noticed every, you know, they'll do a tune and they'll say, wait a minute, I need to crank this note up a half step. Yeah, you're going to see On a that. hammered. You're going to see that a lot more because <laughs> I'm going to start doing that. I need to for this instrument. Hey, Steve, before we finish. You're not going to ask you're not going to ask me something personal. Before we finish. Yeah, this actually is going to be kind of personal. It's going to put you on the okay. spot. And you don't have to participate in this because I have a head start on you. But last night, the last thing I was reading before I went to bed was a post f- on Facebook from my uh, niece, who's a school teacher. And she is, you know, the kids are back in school. And her freshman, yeah. freshman in high school, the first assignment she gave them was to come up with five song five song titles that uh, sort of describe your life and write a paragraph about why this represents and I just wait a minute about why this does not something long five song titles that I think represent my life yeah and you you may not want to do this because you might want to think about it but the last thing I know I I know right now they would all be Dr. Hook songs okay first of all I want to tell you what mine are because I did this I just noticed it here on this note I did this yours is going to be like muskrat love (laughs) how did you guess that's number one no here's the five wonderful world uh, because I think yeah. it describes it's perfect. Uh, okay. Itsy Bitsy Spider, because it tells us all we need to know about perseverance. Oh, that's good. Twinkle Twinkle, because it encourages the first important, most important stage of Socratic thinking, which is wonder. How I wonder. Uh, the Wall by Kansas, which is on their Left Overture album, which is just a crazy good album. It's funny. Because in life, we all face walls like that. And there's a line in that about you know, passing through that wall to the other side and those who do look back and, you know, smile back and say, there is no loss. This was hard, but there's no loss. And then uh, uh, the last one, and this one, I actually have a couple that are the last one. And I, so I have six and I, I'm not really sure. I had Imagine is maybe the one, uh, John Lennon's thing, because I think that's great. But then there's this other song called Holy Now by Peter Mayer. Which, if anybody's into Peter Mayer, Peter David Wilcox, you might have Yeah, I like him. So, anyway, do you have thoughts? Well, well, yeah, you just crammed all kinds of um, stuff there into a few seconds. It's a great exercise, isn't it? I mean, some of the songs you chose, I would have chosen, so now I don't have to choose those. Yeah, I don't... Think um, about it, and then next time. You know... I mean, this is off the top of my head, but I like uh, James Taylor up on the roof. Oh, yeah, that's good. uh, Because I like to get a different perspective of things. And you know, James James Brown, not James Brown, Jackson Brown, uh, Doctor My Eyes. Yeah. Because, yeah, sometimes life gets hard and you don't want to harden to the point that you can't be soft enough to enjoy, you know, the sweeter things in life. I've listened to some Jackson Brown anthologies lately, by the way. What a crazy good songwriter. That's so good. Some of it's weird, but 
really good. So anyway, keep going. Um, this one very loosely, but I felt like when I was in school, I, I definitely had a, a number of good teachers. Um, I definitely had a number of good teachers. And just because I'm not naming them doesn't mean I don't love them. But sometimes I felt like I wasn't the most wasn't the most um, motivated. I wasn't one of the well, most tell, productive the kids in school. Smoking in the boys' room? <laughs> right. I wasn't the most productive, and I also wasn't the biggest troublemaker. I kind of felt like I was passed through, you know? I was just one of those guys in the middle. And, and this is not totally true, because I have much to be thankful for about my school experience, but I mostly felt like I was work. I was at a factory, basically, for my entire youth and I wasn't wasn't getting paid anything, and I know that's negative. But I always think of that Pink Floyd song, um, you know, "We Don't Need No Education." Oh, the wall, <laughs> the wall. Jesus, beats. But but that's that's exaggerated. But that's a little bit of the rebel in my heart, I guess. Um, I like um, this. I like "Money" by Pink Floyd. Four Star Hotel. Um, you, I like, I like music. I like positive rap. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Here's something. And you know, a lot of times people say, well, I like, I like a lot of music, but I ain't really into rap. And I understand why they're saying that, but positive rap, you know, sometimes they call it intelligent rap, which that's a little insulting <laughs> towards the rest of it. I like music in general that makes me feel like getting up and doing a better job. Like that that um, that song, uh, ain't, no, ain't Nothing Gonna Break My Stride, which you probably oh, yeah, don't yeah. know yeah, from I, the well, 80s. I do know that song. That was a good one. Oh, I love that song. I've got to keep on moving. <laughs> I nothing got to break I like the, the van. <laughs> I'm gonna stop here in a second. I like the Vangelis uh, soundtrack to Blade Runner. Every time I'm stressful, I can put that on and just chill. Oh, that's yeah. I can't that's funny. I didn't even think about the classical stuff because there's a bunch of that. I don't even know why that is. And I, I guess some classical. people would call that soundtrack or new agey, but yeah, it does have a a vibe instrumental. Like that. Instrumental stuff can be that way as well. Yeah. Um, there. I used to listen to music as an exploration to give me goosebumps. And then I got tired of listening to music um, after I'd really worked hard on it for a number of years. Uh, lately, I'm coming back to listening, but I, I don't explore like I used to. Now it's like, I'm in this mood, I need that. I'm in this mood, I need that. And it almost feels like a warm bath I'm crawling into. It's like, ah, you know. Well, it's a good hiding place. It's a, oh, and I got to tell you this. Place. This is the one I'll end on. And I, mine was nowhere near as good as yours. But listen, to, and I hate to do Pink Floyd number three, but on the Wish You Were Here tune, um, he says, you know, did you trade a bit part in the war for a lead role in a cage? And that line always gets me. I do, you know, do I want to trade a bit part in the war for a lead role in a cage? And I always tell people, you know, I remind them there's no such thing as small 
roles, just small actors. And I encourage people to to play their hearts out on these simple instruments, on these simple tunes. Um. Anyway, that's that's my off wow. the, off the top of the Boy, head list, I, wish, I guess. I'd like to pursue this. There's, there's, I've identified some things there. There's a thread, but we'll do this another time. I, we have enough stuff to deal with, like people asking hurtful questions, like want to go for a run or try this kale and stuff like that. Just oh yeah, people are always trying to get me to eat kale. <laughs> oh, it's awful. You gotta eat a little bit, but it's not it doesn't taste good. That stuff. I wouldn't mind a kale, like a uh, a kale fiber dulcimer, maybe. <laughs> That's a good idea. You'd be doing your part. Hey, I got to get out of here. I'm going to Townsend, Tennessee. I can't wait. And um, I think I need to run, dude. All right. Why not go for a run? <laughs> Dan Landrum, I love you, oh, man. See, it still makes me uncomfortable. And I know I love you, too. And I think, look, the word love is... Back to that thing. Dan, you got to be careful Dan, how you use Dan, your words. Damn. Dude, I got to go. But would you say you love kale with mayonnaise? <laughs> and then in the next breath say you love your mom? That takes the meaning away. Well, it only takes the meaning away if the person listening does not have the mental sensitivity to adjust their perspective. <laughs> what are you saying, dude? I mean, you blame me for a limited vocabulary. I blame you for your uh, lack of imagination when interpreting my expression. All right. I love you, man. Hey, Dan. Bye. Dude, I got to go, man. Yeah. Later. <laughs>